Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the IC, joined today by Harriet Clarfield. How are you doing, Harriet? I'm fine, thanks. Excellent. Right, so this week we are going to be talking pretty much exclusively about technology, which is your beat. You've written the sector focus this week on the upcoming reporting season for, for big US tech. And we've seen some of those results already. So uh, we'll talk through through those and what, what we've seen so far. A couple of little stories that you've updated in the magazine. I think Learning Technologies is in the tip update section. We'll talk about what's mm-hmm. going on there. And there's a story close to home uh, in the news section on uh, money supermarkets. We'll talk about energy switching, which is, I guess, not your, your, your kind of thing, really. But, but it impacts money supermarkets. But it impacts money supermarkets. In a good way. Of course. <laughs> I, I must admit, I've just switched myself. Oh, well, very useful. Tonight. Yeah, really, really, really easy. I, I, I don't know if I use Money Supermarket. I think I might use U-Switch, which I think is part of uh, Zoopla. Uh, yeah, ZPG. Is that, is that what it's called now? I oh, think it is. There you go. There's me uh, <laughs> not keeping up with the, uh, with the uh, change of names. Let's start with the sector focus. Let's talk about uh, uh, technology, okay. which really these days is, is pretty... I mean. There are a number of UK technology companies. We can talk about some of those perhaps in the mm-hmm. context of, of what we're about to discuss. But but technology is it's America. Yeah, it is. And um that's really what this week's sector focus is about. So as you said, we're kind of in the middle of another earnings season. Um we've seen a few of these companies report in the last couple of days. Um I think at the time of writing the article, only Netflix had come out with its results. How were they? Um, they were good. They, they were mixed. So on the one hand, I think they said that in their first quarter, they had reached sort of an all time high in what they call net new ads, which is new paid subscribers. Um, and I think they're close to sort of 150 million paying users. But on the other hand, they've guided towards a decline in second quarter total paid subscribers. Why is that? What's happening? Um, I don't think they gave a reason necessarily within the letter. Um, I think obviously what people were perhaps looking for an update on was what they were going to say about Disney and Apple Mm. and their streaming platforms. But actually, they said that um, those new entrants, they don't think they're going to materially impact them. Um, And they sort of say they have different offerings. And, you know, the content environment is so huge. And actually, they said the real beneficiaries will, of course, be consumers, but also content producers, content owners. Um, and in the sector focus, we kind of took from that that Entertainment One might be a UK company that benefits from from that. Yeah, so we've had an, our eye on Entertainment One for a while as a takeover target, mainly. Yes, because Because, yeah. you know, obviously a lot of these big sort of multinational uh, content platform companies want content mm-hmm. and entertainment one seems to fit that bill very very neatly but it hasn't happened yet it hasn't happened yet and i'm still holding out hope for it but uh, i think it will happen one day i i really think it might and actually you know there's so much m a activity going on and although you know entertainment one isn't exactly a cheap company you know it's got a two billion dollar content library i think that was what it was at last count and you can see why it would be very attractive it's got these unbelievably popular children's brands like Peppa Pig, which I can't say I've watched myself. I, I, I've, watched, I've watched a ridiculous amount of Pe- Peppa Pig. Okay, well, you're a, you know more about it than I do. We don't watch much of it anymore. My kids are reaching, uh, well, they're approaching adulthood, which is terrifying. But, uh, yeah. but there you go. But Entertainment One probably has other content that they watch instead. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, those are just examples of, of why it could be attractive. And um you know, we've seen that companies out there are willing to pay a lot to um, acquire content and 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the fascinating thing about Entertainment One's, uh, certainly its children's content, is is kind of how global this has become. Mm. Um, and, and if I if I remember rightly, Asia Asia is a huge market for the, for Peppa Pig. And what's the, what's the other children's and brand? PJ Masks. I've never seen that. I, I actually I have watched it. <laughs> oh, you watched sort of that? Research purposes. <laughs> oh, uh, Dom, Dom <laughs> in the control room is thumbs upping there. Yeah, uh, but I've never seen it. I guess I guess this is age dependent upon how how old your children are. I think probably yeah, but um, you know I suppose that's the other thing. As I said, it's it's our content offerings really varied. So there are the children's brands. It also has its film and TV business which is transitioning more to production and it's kind of away from third-party distribution. I, I was going to say, because we had, a, we had a bit of a thing earlier this uh, this year when, when they sent us some DVDs. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, yes. It's a long and boring story around anti-bribery and corruption rules. Yes, Suffice to say, uh, they went in the charity bid. They did. Which is where they have to I go. They went to a good cause. But that's the business they're getting out of, I guess. The... I think so. So I think that there has been this decline um, generally in the home entertainment market. And, um, for, know, for DVDs, for, for, well, yeah, for distributed content. I, I believe content. so, yeah. And I think that um, a focus on production is seemingly the way to go. Um, and, you know, I, then in turn, they may, you know, we might see them acquiring more businesses, but we also maybe one day we'll see them being acquired because yeah. of the production business. So. Well, I hope so, because we've been saying it for long yeah. enough. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be a shame if they didn't, ultimately. Let's it might um, take a few years. Let's turn quickly back to Netflix. I, I mean, they may say that things like Disney's new uh, mm. streaming platform will not have a material impact on them, but Disney own so many things. They do. You can't imagine it won't have some impact. A hundred percent. And, you know, they, they've said they don't expect a material impact, but, you know, Apple also has said that it's launching its own streaming platform. It had a keynote event in March where it announced... We actually talked about that on this podcast because Phil actually yeah. watched the whole thing, was extremely yeah. unimpressed, particularly with the, uh, the, the the potential TV offering that they're planning. Right. But Disney, Disney, it's what they do. They have they have all this content. They have this massive library. They have all these brands. Time. Doing it yeah. for a long time. It might it might work. And I and, and a lot of, you know, Marvel content, which is a brand they yeah. own, is on Netflix. It is. And so you can see what might happen in terms of the content offerings over time. Will more content producers go to Disney instead of Netflix? Will some of them go to Apple? Um, you know, it's it'll, it'll it'll definitely be something that we monitor. And equally, you know, as Netflix said, I think the content creators, you know, maybe we'll see more of those pop up because that seems to be the area that is going to benefit massively. I, I have Netflix, of course. Do you have Netflix? I have Netflix too. What are you watching it? <laughs> it's a personal this, this is scuttled. <laughs> that, I hope not. It's a little bit of a scuttle yeah. by here. I know what I watch on Netflix, uh, which is not as much as I used to. It's, really? Game, it's Game of Thrones time. Well, that's true. I think, you know, when you have a great programme, well, a programme a lot of people think is great, like Game of Thrones. Oh, you don't think it's great? I, I love it, but I know some people out there that don't quite get it. They're wrong. I, I agree. But, um, you know, when you have something like that on Sky or, you know, you have... I suppose Bodyguard was another one. BBC. BBC? Was it BBC or ITV? I think it was BBC. BBC. You know, you have things like that on, I suppose, what we might now deem mainstream TV, um, even though Sky obviously isn't really. You maybe are turned off Netflix. Mm. Well, they make a lot of their own... I mean, you know, content creation is the business that they're, yeah. they're kind of becoming, rather, yeah. as you say, rather than there distribution There are a lot of sort of Netflix originals. And they're not very good, a lot of them. I know, I have to say, I've watched a few... The Christmas films from Netflix were not top of my kind of popularity list in terms of stuff I've watched on that. But um, I, I actually watch a lot of older stuff because they have a sort of archive of older programmes that I maybe watched a few years ago that I kind of want to revisit. But 
And also, of course, the David Attenborough, um, the recent documentary. Is that on Netflix? I think so. I bet, but actually, that's interesting because a lot of, that's BBC. That was BBC, wasn't it? Yeah. So a lot of BBC content goes through Netflix, but that might change too. Yeah. It, yeah, it just seems there's a lot of moving parts in this whole, it does. whole, whole and industry. It's something and something that everyone will be following, I think. Every, from now on, I think things like content creation, what's going on in terms of competition in the sort of streaming market are going to be the areas I think draw a huge amount of attention over the next few quarterly earnings seasons. I mean, it sort of feels a bit like the, the sort of, you know, some of those industries that, that had their sort of early boom years where everyone wanted a piece of the action, mm. but, but ultimately it all consolidates into one, sort mm. of a few like big players. Yeah, and it kind of, I suppose, raises questions about first mover advantage and, you know, companies that ultimately, you know, for example, Disney, that have this long history in, in content and have so many fingers in so many different pies, you know, when they come along and launch a streaming service, won't, will it automatically just be so much better? How are, how are Netflix shares doing? I mean, I guess that's the acid test, really. Yeah. What people think about their prospects and, exactly. and what they're doing. So I think they actually dropped a little bit on the latest results, um, which I suppose is potentially unsurprising, given this anticipated slight decline um, in second quarter as... Disney, I think, has been doing pretty well over the last year in terms of share price. Um, and I suppose for now, that is kind of almost the benchmark by which we maybe have to measure Netflix and its share price. Because, you know, I, one of the things that I really noticed in writing this article was that although these companies are so different in some ways, as they expand, they're kind of overlapping in so many ways as well. And, you know, one of the things that we are thinking about more generally is how we value those companies, what we should be comparing them to within the fang sector, well, that, we could be comparing them to. It's, it's interesting you say, what do we compare them to? Because yeah. that's actually the subject of the cover feature, which is uh, mm. about companies that, we call it breaking the mould. It's written by our US, occasional US uh, contributor, Todd Winning. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at companies that, that, that you know, traditional analysis has found, have found really hard to value because they, they're kind of different. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you try and put them in a sort of TV box. But they're doing other things But they're doing well. really different things. Yeah. I, I mean, look at uh, Amazon is the prime example. Amazon Prime, no pun intended. There was no pun intended, <laughs> but thank you for pointing that out. But, yeah. no, I mean, Amazon is, you know, so it's in content, it's obviously in retail. Yeah. It's in kind of back-end infrastructure, like cloud services. The yeah, biggest Amazon part Web Services. Massive. Yeah. And also it now has physical grocery stores as well. Does it? Well, in, in the well, US, if I we're see. counting Whole Foods as yeah. part of its offering, yeah. So you know, about that. well, yeah, um, it does so many different things, and it's yeah, it's as you said, a prime example of a company that is just becoming increasingly difficult to value. And you know, maybe we should be valuing the different parts of the company against other companies as opposed to looking at it as a, as a whole. Mm. Well, some some of the parts, probably. exactly, but, which is always really hard to do. It, it is very hard to do. <laughs> And of course, ultimately, you do have to take it in its entirety as well. But these companies are still, I mean, you know, share price wise, I mean, I, I think I looked at an ETF, which is, you know, backing uh, a lot of big tech. It's, mm. I mean, it's motoring. It's, it's, yeah. it's the momentum trade still. And, and actually, one, one of the things that we looked at, well, I looked at within this sector focus is the other ways that you can buy into big tech. So if you either can't or you're wary of buying into these companies directly, buying their shares, there are ETFs, there are funds that you can invest in, which could potentially give you more diversification um, and you know some of them are doing really well, as we, you said. You spoke to uh, well, you spoke to a number of managers. I, I, I yeah, think. But, over the but, past few months, I have yeah. And um, I, one of them was Jeremy Gleeson at um, AXA Framlington, who's the manager of the Global Technology Fund there. And um, one of the interesting conversations we had was around different ways that you can approach sort of buying into Microsoft. So if and I think you know that's something that his fund has done. So I love Microsoft. So do I. You know, I, so you know, I think on its own, you know, it would have done. You know, you can buy it, and it would have, you could have bought it a few years ago. And it would have done really well. But it's, but, um, it's one of those weird companies that people, people kind of wrote it off because it wasn't yeah. new, new tech. 
you know. Yeah, um, and it's been around for such a long time. And I suppose when you think about, I don't know, Microsoft Word, for an example, it's something that we've all used for years. I've just spent, I've just bought my whole family. You could buy a family. The Microsoft Office. Well, the 365 thing. Yeah. It's great. And it's, 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 I mean, we, we talk about this a lot when, well, you talk about this a lot when covering tech. It's, it's yeah. kind of that sort of... Uh, the transition the, the, the repeat, the cloud. Well, the, the cloud stuff, yeah. the, the repeating revenues, the... And, you know, so I bought a, you know, one-year licence, but can't imagine I'll turn it off next year now. I, I think know, I'm hooked. But that's the thing. Once you buy into something like that, you buy a licence, there's... Unless something goes terribly wrong, you're very unlikely to, in my view, to sort of change your mind in a year's time because it's so easy just to... Well, no one's going to build uh, an alternative. Yeah. Well, well, actually, no, that's not true. It's not Google no. has tried to build an alternative. Yes, and but it, but is I mean Google Docs you know Google Sheets they're not they're kind of not the same is it really? I mean it's just a very I think I think it also kind of depends what you're used to so you know it's it's almost the same as the Mac versus PC argument you know people become very used to using a certain kind of platform and I think it probably takes a while it certainly did for me when I transitioned from using my own Mac to music using a PC at work and I, I suppose the same thing is true of using Google Docs versus Microsoft um, three six five. But, you know, I, I guess it's what works for you in your work environment, your personal environment. In any case, like the whole, I can, take, I can completely see why the subscription, the recurring revenues, that's all very attractive for investors. And, you know, this transition towards the cloud is actually something we looked at with IBM in the US income major. Yeah, which was, what was the, the issue of the 12th? Yeah. So, so we looked at some of the biggest uh, dividend-paying companies in the US. And, and I think you, you picked up a couple, I think IBM and, and AT&T. AT&T. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's talk about IBM because you mentioned them in the sector, sector focus as well. Have they got results coming out? I... Um, they've actually had their results. Oh, they've out. had them. Um, Excellent. So they have reported their first quarter results. Um, I actually, I'm not sure if I did mention them in the sector focus. I thought but... you did. <laughs> Gosh, my yes, you did. You did. You're... Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Sorry, I take that back. That's all right. Um, so I think I did mention them because um, IBM has actually announced last October that it was buying Red Hat, which is sort of leading provider of open source software. And open source, in a nutshell, basically means um, it's software for which the original source code is made kind of freely available so it can be redistributed. It's very complicated. It's all <laughs> that's right. It in a nutshell. That's fine. But, but, then, but then, I, guess, I guess then the question is, well, OK, but if it's, if it's freely distributed, how does IBM make any money out of this? Exactly. Well, it's, um, I mean, and I should add that IBM has said it's going to pay $34 billion. Yeah, I think I might have jumped the gun there. uh, IBM is buying Red Hat. The question then is, why is IBM buying Red Hat? So IBM has said, or their chief executive has said, you know, most companies today are only 20% along their cloud journey, renting computing power to cut costs. And um, this is kind of the next, I suppose, step on the cloud journey. And them having Red Hat, IBM has been focusing increasingly on its cloud offering. So buying Red Hat should really enhance that for them it's a huge sum of money 34 billion dollars i think that's its enterprise value that they've attributed to it and actually looking at their latest results although the acquisition hasn't completed yet so hasn't factored into them um revenues were down by around five percent to 18 i think around 18 billion dollars um, it's obviously still a huge amount of money in terms for of for the quarter for, for the, the quarter for the quarter, for the quarter. Actually, IBM's cloud and cognitive software revenues were down by a little bit. And so I think that was possibly quite disappointing for the market because obviously cloud is what we're really hoping is going to be the future of IBM. Is it, is it a bit like the whole Netflix story, though, that, you know, cl- yes, cloud is, yeah. is the thing, but everyone's going for it. Everyone's going for it. And, you know, I think in the same way, going back to Microsoft for a second, everyone is very excited about its Azure cloud offering. So I think 
you know, all eyes are on that. And it is an increasingly competitive market. You know, there aren't just big companies doing it. There are, of course, lots of smaller companies out there doing cloud computing. For example, in the UK, we've got IMART, which is a cloud computing specialist. I mean, what they, I, mean I remember IMART has been around for a Eons, yeah, exactly. eons. But it, I mean, essentially, what it was at the beginning was a provider of kind of rack space. Yeah. Know? So, yeah, it's it's basically selling you, you know, server space in a in a big hub somewhere. Yeah, it, that exactly. That's what it was. And so, you know, you have large and very small companies, or relatively small companies, out there doing the same thing. How does somebody like Iomart though? I mean, when you've got Amazon Web Services, when you've got Microsoft and IBM moving into the space, how do these, you know, small, much smaller UK companies, what do they do differently to, to survive? Well, I think a part of it um, is having, trying to differentiate their offerings, but also having big tech partners. So, I mean, <laughs> jumping around a little bit, another company that actually reported this week is Wandisco, it's AIM listed. And they also, you know, they're big sort of cloud advocates and um they kind of list among their channel partners microsoft amazon web services um i think there are they also work with alibaba in the u.s and i think it's part of it is just having those relationships in place with with bigger companies but the whole i mean the whole tech ecosystem is it's a mishmash of these it sort is. of things it's, it's hard to keep up with it, and a lot of the time honestly there's a lot of jargon involved in relation to the cloud, which I think makes it a lot harder for people to follow exactly what's going on. So actually clinging on to things like Azure's revenues quarter on quarter for Microsoft or, you know, looking at this cloud and cognitive revenue for IBM, that's really, you know, I, I can see that's why people sort of hone in on it because it's, it feels like a very clear indicator of where things are going. Yeah. But it'll be, I think, going forwards with IBM, people will really be monitoring how the acquisition progresses, all being well, it will complete. Um, but also, you know, I think people will want to see revenue progression. And obviously what we looked at within the Income Majors article was the dividend yield. And which, I think, is, which is nice. Which is which is great. But, um, and, you know, I think in 2018 it was well covered by free cash flow. But, um, of course, sometimes when we look at high dividend yields, it raises some red flags. So Yeah, it's not that high. I mean, it's, it's 5%, uh, forward dividend yield. Uh, I think that's going out to 2020 was 5%, mm. which is, I mean, that's And there not, are higher on the S&P 500. Yeah, 5% is not a, not a red flag. No, uh, no. Sort of waving level of level of dividend yield no it's not um so it's i suppose it's more a question of you know is is that dividend sustainable i think for the time being it, it looks like it is yeah let's talk about wandisco a little bit i mean this actually that's kind of a neat segue into what what we're all working on at the moment which is next week's uh, magazine which is the first installment of our a100 series mm-hmm. wandisco's you've written you've written about them uh for for part one i have yes. i'm pretty sure they used to be in part two which is the biggest companies they, yes. they seem to have lost a bit of their shine they have yeah so they were um formerly actually an ic buy tip um we took them off earlier this year i think um they had their results yesterday in fact um so they've obviously recently updated and um yeah i mean as i said some of the exciting parts of wandisco are the fact that it has these relationships and i think you know when we originally tipped them we kind of said you know it is it looks like a momentum stock you know the shares go up and down a lot on on news flow but actually it is that momentum is steeped in quite exciting partnerships. What does it do? Um, There's a test for you. I will try to explain. <laughs> so they describe themselves as a live data company, um, but effectively they do kind of live data replication. So basically, so my understanding yep. is that if you've got a server in one country or a server in another or a bit of cloud here or a bit of cloud there, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're an organisation that uses multiple providers potentially include or server space in your own building and it's making sure everything's matched up. 
I, I think that's pretty much pretty, it. So pretty in much a nutshell, it. if you and I, if you were working in the US and I were working in the UK and we both work for the same company, which we do, <laughs> um, we'd be able to collaborate in real time, potentially on the same document, because all of the data that I'm working on has also has already been replicated to the cloud. Yeah. So what you don't want to happen is that, that I've, I've made some it. changes and and they're not coming through to 100%. what you're seeing in your in your whatever wherever you are. Yeah. And you could see if you were working on an incredibly important document or you know on a deal or something in a financial context, it would be pretty disastrous if there were disruption to that. And I mean, that sounds, with, it sounds really kind of boring. But it's interesting. But, but it is really important. Yeah, it's, and it also helps with disaster recovery. You know, I think um, that's something that generally the cloud is really important for. You know, having that backup of stored data really makes such a difference when things, you know, if a flood happened in your office and everything went down, you'd have everything backed up. But um, yeah, that, that was Wandisco kind of in a nutshell. Yeah. But, I mean, I would say that their losses did widen um, in their latest results and their revenues were down a bit. But um, I think... What it's got going for it is those exciting relationships. I guess that's the problem with tech is that it's complicated mm. and to build a presence is expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and we often see tech companies that, that actually don't make any money. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, then it really is almost a sort of blue sky scenario. So you just have to think, am I willing to take an incredibly risky bet on this? But, you know, the cloud in some ways seems less risky because it's, it's becoming so much more ubiquitous. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. I guess you can actually play these themes though without taking mm-hmm. kind of the, the the stock specific risk of backing a blue sky company by backing these funds that, that you've you've spoken to. I mean, Scottish yeah. Mortgage is a, is a is a really great example mm-hmm. of you know a very long established fund that it kind of has a blue sky mentality and it really seems to work. It's it's one of the most popular investment trusts with our readership. But yeah, well, exactly, and it doesn't only allocate to tech, which is. Possibly one of the things that appeals, you know, that there is a bit more, potentially a bit more diversification. But um, they like Tesla, don't they? Tesla's yeah, one of Tesla's their big, one of the uh, things. And um, is that tech? Is it automotive? Goes back to our kind of question. idiosyncratic theme. Exactly. I, you know, I think you know what is and isn't tech is such a big question now. And, and one of the points that I made within the sector focus is that we see them as this sort of homogenous family, and actually they all do such different things. Tesla, is it? Is it cars? Is it tech? I think that's probably a question when it comes potentially to covering it in our team, you know, who would have a look at it? Would it be me? Would it be the person who covers automotive? Yeah, well, we don't have much automotive. We don't really have. We actually no. we have Aston Martin Legonda now, which, yeah. is, uh, which is Alex Jay's uh, beat. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we haven't had much of an automotive sector, so it is a... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think it would be one that I, I would cover, because, but then at the same time, tech seems to underpin almost everything now. I, yeah, it really does. Yeah. It really does. You've got a big challenge on your hands there. Well, no, it's an exciting one. I, I mean, actually, going, I mean, just turning to the feature and the idea of idiosyncratic companies. One of the you, you actually contrib- contributed a little bit to that. You looked at mm-hmm. Ocado for that. I did, which yeah. is which is it falls into that that bracket. What is it? Well, exactly. I think once upon a time we considered it, or the world generally considered it to be a sort of supermarket retailer, including me. Inclu- well, I, did, I, including think I, I did a bit of a mayor culpa in, uh, in the editorial recently. <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. I, I looked at it as a, as a retailer and thought it's yeah. got no chance. And, but but exactly, and you know, with such a different valuation from retailers, you know, people were thinking, what? Some people were thinking, why would I invest in this? It's just so highly valued. What it is, and but, and to make inroads into the UK grocery market, yeah. is going to be really hard. Absolutely, and also for a while there was a question around the interna- international partnerships, but now it's really selling its technology offering, its automated warehouses, it's got various international partnerships in place, and I think more recently um, it has said, you know, after that terrible fire in Andover. I think it's been seen as a bit of a short-term setback. And so, you know, things seem to be all go. 
But, you know, this is one of the conversations that um, Harriet Russell, who used to cover retail, and I um, often discussed, you know, what, should it be her covering Ocado or should it be me? Because I'm looking at tech and technology seems to be the thing that it's really selling. Oh, it could be you now. Yeah, I well, think, I would like to cover it. The Microsoft of retail. Oh, yeah. That's not what they've called themselves. That's, that's no, no, one no. of the brokers, isn't it? A broker so. has sort of said that they could be seen as that, yeah. Yeah, that seems a bit of a stretch, but... Uh. Yeah, well, I think it's the idea that it could have this um, platform that then is able to kind of replicate, you know, it, it could be the sort of standard operating platform for lots of different things. Yeah, I, still, I mean, I guess the problem we have with Ocado still is that we don't really know enough about the sort of... The, the, the numbers behind the, the deals that it struck, it's still yeah. a bit black box. It, exactly. Obviously, we have the names behind the deals. So, for example, the most one of the most recent partnerships is with Coles, the Australian sort of supermarket chain and petrol station chain, actually, as well. Names like that have, do kind of lend more leverage, I suppose is the right word, to what they're trying to well, do. Well, credence. Credence, credence exactly. yeah. Um, but at the same time, as you say, we don't have a huge amount of information around numbers. And so a little bit like with a lot of tech companies... Some of the time you feel like you are slightly buying into an idea. Um, and, you know, of course, they also have this JV with Marks and Spencer, um, which I think people have mixed views on. But obviously it looks pretty good for Ricardo. Good for Ricardo, bad for m and I, th- I, th- I, I think, think that that's is, there is a consensus on, yeah. on that, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it, it, is a, it, is, it is still a difficult com- company to get your head around. It is. And there are lots of moving parts. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it'll be me covering it from now on because it's fascinating. And you can have it. Oh, thank you, <laughs> if I must. Um, Twitter, which yes. you didn't mention in the piece, I think they've had some numbers. They have, actually. Um, so they reported their first quarter numbers um, either yesterday or the day before yesterday. Um, one of the interesting things about that is that they've said that they're taking an even more proactive approach to reducing abuse on Twitter and its effects in 20, really? 2019. I, th- I thought Twitter was entirely made up of abuse. <laughs> well, <laughs> I suppose it depends what people go onto Twitter to use it for. Abuse? But, yeah. It's one, of the, it's one of the things they mentioned in their sort of first quarter letter to shareholders. And, um, you know, I think now these social media companies really have to make those kinds of statements given all of the stuff that's happened in terms of ethical and social issues in the last year or so. But can they actually do anything? I mean, it's a it's a big question. I think that they can. You know, I, I think that there need to be more controls in place. And also, I think artificial intelligence will play a big role in helping these platforms mm. to kind of so govern and control. But to an extent, you know, scary. what can you do? I know it sounds scary, but to an extent, what can you do? You know, people are always going to use platforms on the internet to abused but yeah one of the first big features you wrote for us was about regulation and, and i don't think it was really that prominent at the time when when you wrote it i mean there were some some regulatory initiatives that were coming mm. through uh around accounting procedures but but one of the big threats of regulation is to the tech sector have, we, have we had any kind of view on where that's going how far that's progressing well i think it's something that we should look at in more detail um in future but i think you know there are so many different regulatory angles you know there's an- antitrust which is obviously um been something that people have associated with alphabet in the past alphabet being google um when face- do they report they report in a week okay. i think uh i'll have to double check that. that's right no, that's about right <laughs> um, it's in the next few days um, but, you know, also Facebook obviously has a privacy issues and actually Facebook has also reported um, and they have actually said in the first quarter they've reasonably estimated a probable loss and recorded an accrual of $3 billion in Whoa. connection with the inquiry 
of the um, US's FTC into their platform and user data practices. That is a big number. It's, it's a How big have number. How got to that? Well, I think they've, they've said it could ultimately range between three and five billion dollars. But what's the cost, though? Is it the cost of legal... So, work or is it is it kind of intangible costs? Is I, it... I think I believe it's the cost of legal work. Um, so yeah, but having said that, um, they've said that excluding that expense, which obviously they would give you a number for that, um, they say that their operating margin would have been twenty percent twenty percentage points higher. So you know maybe people are hoping that that will be an overestimate uh, overestimate that three billion. Maybe it'll maybe it'll be more. It's a va- that is a vast number. I think it kind of shows you how big these issues are, though. Um, I mean, and I suppose I should say, aside from that, revenues were up by more than a quarter to fifteen point one billion dollars. Presumably, ab- advertising revenues. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, that's a it is a huge it's a huge expense. I guess they I guess that they're thinking though. Well, they have to spend this. They have to make this sort of commitment mm. to, to 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 addressing some of the problems that. That have been identified with their platform. Otherwise, some even worse Absolutely. heavy-handed regulation could come down the road and and and, and kill the whole business. And I, I think we're seeing these tech companies um, increasingly kind of meet regulators halfway, or appear to be. You know, I think that they've realised. I know there's that um, commonly quoted quoted phrase: um, "Move fast and break things." And I think that it may be a case of moving a bit more slowly from now on because. You know, there's only so much disruption you can see without really angering the regulators. Does that mean we can expect the kind of, as I say, the momentum trade of of the Fang uh, shares come to an end? Because we actually we have called this a few times. Yeah, and wrongly. then they kept going. <laughs> and I mean, you know, maybe the fact that um, these companies do seem to be you know, um, taking steps towards sort of meeting the regulators. Maybe maybe that will mean that they are able to continue growing because, you know, they're doing what they can to sort of make a difference in terms of, as the UK government calls it, online harms. Um, but, you know, I think it feels like regulator, re- regulation generally is weighing a lot more heavily on the fangs. And so it, it is a big question, you know, how much far, how can they continue to grow as fast as they have been? Is, is, is that specific, though, mainly to, to, to the social media side of, of, of the FANG uh, sector? So that would be the kind of Facebooks and Twitters, rather than, for example, the Microsofts that we've already talked about, which are kind of, like, they're kind of tools. Yeah, they're more sort of tool-based, aren't they? I mean, I think, you know, there's one kind of regulation, and then there are more sort of, as I've said, there are, there are questions around sort of antitrust and mergers and acquisitions. And I suppose... To me, those would be the kinds of um, rules that might impact those companies a bit more. You know, large, large-scale acquisitions and takeovers and, and mergers might draw attention from the regulators. Yeah, Microsoft, Microsoft went through that many, yeah. many years ago uh, it, within within the EU, in fact. Mm-hmm. It was uh, obviously on the receiving end of, of antitrust uh, initiatives. It's Google now that's in the spotlight. Yeah, it is. Or, or Alphabet, rather. Yeah, and I suppose one of the issues, as I've said already, is that these companies now do so many things that... You know, on the one hand, it's amazing they're diversifying and they've got so many different operating areas, but it also arguably exposes them to a lot more sort of regulatory ire because they're doing so many different things. Or, or I think, as you mentioned in your, your regulation piece, for companies like Amazon, which mm. are big companies but made up of lots of different things, mm. they're, kind of, they're kind of skirting around some of the kind of traditional models of, of, uh, uh, of managing competition. Yes, by just <laughs> entering every single market. Yeah. It's... Um, it, 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 I mean, you know, I think this is... I'm sure something will be done in, in terms, you know, I think there have been suggestions in the past that maybe Amazon would be broken up or, you know, I'm not sure I see that happening. 
Um, because, you know, of course, regulators also want to encourage growth and competition at the same time as as keeping companies like that in check. So it's mm. just where do they strike a balance? Yeah, it sounds like good work for lawyers in the meantime. Yes, Another sure. one of your favourite little subsectors, which uh, yeah. uh, we won't talk about today. The listed, the, law the listed law firms. <laughs> They've done very well. You've been covering them. Yeah, well... Not because of me. <laughs> because of you, Harriet. It's all because of My you. In it. <laughs> Let, let's quickly talk about uh, the uh, a, a small UK tech company uh, that, that have uh, put some, some information out there this week. Learning Technologies, uh, a tip of yours from what was it, October 2017. Uh, done all, yeah, done it's all right. been a while. Um, they, they have done okay, actually. Um, they were up by quite a bit more, and um, they've come down a little bit in the last few months. But... Um, they basically, their shares climbed by over 10% on the news that they had bought a talent acquisition software company called Breezy HR. Um, great name for a company. Um, and that's going to be for an initial $12 million, although there will be further kind of performance-based payments over the next three years. Um, and, I mean, just to give you a little bit of explanation, Breezy works with small to medium-sized businesses, and it's meant to help that improve their recruitment processes. Um, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it is. It, 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 I it is. See, I, I can see what the opportunity would be there. Um, but I think it's interesting because Learning Technologies was historically a sort of um, corporate learning technology company, as it kind of says in the tin. But um, last year, they bought another company called PeopleFluent um, for $150 million. And so the idea is that Breezy will sit within that. Um, so they're kind of branching out a bit into this talent acquisition Area. Are these American companies they've bought then? Yeah. They? Interesting. Well, it is interesting, but um, you know, I hope you know, hopefully it'll mean more geographical diversification. Um, obviously, it's a lot of money to be spending, and I think obviously one of the concerns around learning technologies is that they are so acquisitive. This latest acquisition obviously isn't as for as much, but um, I have a feeling that's possibly why the shares have been down and have fallen since their considerable highs a few months ago. You know, I think people possibly are worried about that acquisitive strategy. But I guess, I guess, to build businesses like this, you have to be acquisitive. Mm. I guess there are, you know, concerns that in the past some acquisitive companies have used that as a way to kind of hide all the sort of hor- so. horrible things within the business that they don't really want people to see. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, this is what Learning Technologies is. It's a it's a portfolio company. It's got lots of different business areas. One of the areas that I actually find quite interesting is I think it's called Preloaded, and they do sort of experiential learnings. They do virtual reality. And they've done kind of, they've helped with um, experiences in museums and, and that kind of thing. All right. Um, it's a bit random. Actually, you know what? My, kids, my kids had a go at that when we went on holiday. Did it they? was a, what was it? It was a Klimt uh, oh, wow. virtual reality experience in Vienna. That's so interesting. Oh, we'll have to find out who provided this. Yeah, look at that. They loved it. Oh, I'm sure, I think, you know, I, I haven't gone into a gallery or a museum and done it myself, but it sounds amazing. You can totally see how that kind of immersive experience would be great for children, particularly in terms of educational kind of experience. But um, yeah, that was learning technologies in a nutshell. Um, they are still up by quite a bit on our tip, but not by as much as they were. <laughs> but we're sticking with it. We're sticking with it, exactly. Let's let's quickly turn to the news. Uh, money supermarket. So, uh, I mean, this guy kind of, this is really interesting. I guess in some ways it is a sort of, it's a sort of tech company, although... We classify uh, it as a media it, company. It's, it's kind of media, um, but the media sector is so vast. I mean, I only started covering it in the last few months, and it really includes everything from newspapers to companies like Money Supermarket. Right move, I guess right, is one of yours yeah, now. Technically, is, uh, I mean, we're it, going back to the question of what classifies what, what, what indeed, is the media, what, what's what a tech are companies, company? what yeah. do they do? What, and you know, you know, maybe the person covering property should be covering right move as well. But then it's it's such a big question. 
Um, but yeah, with Money Supermarket, um, they reported their first quarter numbers. The shares um, responded very positively. Um, basically, their home services business saw its revenues rise by 70%. And they attributed that partly to attractive offers, but also to the energy regulator Ofgem's price cap increase. Um, so that was what prompted me to switch. Actually, yes. Well, I'm sure exactly. It was my, it was my energy people switch. My energy supply reminding me that my price uh, deal was coming to an end, and that yeah. that, uh, that maybe it was time for me to switch. So, okay, then I will. Yeah, and I, but I mean exa- exactly. <laughs> I think clearly. I think they they said that there had been a really high level of switching because obviously I think people were concerned by the price cap increase. And actually, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know this anyway, but. The caps for default energy tariffs, um, we were told they'd rise by £117 to £1,254 a year as of April this month. So um, that switching level, as I said, helped home services to rise. Um, Money Supermarket did say that they expected that momentum to sort of moderate throughout the year because it was exceptional. Um, So they've sort of maintained their full year expectations. But it was obviously a really good start to the year in any case. I think the other thing, um, there are other areas also improved in terms of revenues. Insurance uh, was up only by a little bit. And they said, you know, the life insurance arena is competitive. Mm. But I think we knew that. So. It's a fascinating subsector. You know, mm. the, this, we've talked about competition, but this is kind of like how competition should, in a, in a, in a sort of capitalist economy, can be managed effectively. Yeah. Um, it's well, a by really just good providing transparency. Yeah, and I think, you know, by all accounts, it is very transparent. And I think it, it's so interesting how also how changes in other sectors, for example, energy, have such a big impact on a company like this. And equally, you know, changes to the insurance market will have an impact on them. And it's it's so kind of intertwined with other mm. other companies, other sectors. I, I ended up speaking to a, a, a purely green energy supplier. Really? Just by accident. Not because I care about the environment, but just because I, I mean, obviously, because it because obviously like like most people in this country, I don't care about the environment in any way, shape. <laughs> oh, it's a dangerous thing to say this week. Of course, I care about the environment. <laughs> I just don't like being told that I don't. I know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 really interesting, and uh, it is, and um, it'll be really interesting, interesting to see what happens um, for the rest of the year. Is you know, I think they've set our expectations, but you know, we'll obviously have to monitor what Ofgem is is saying and announcing over the next over the next few months. Yeah, lots probably. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think the regulators have got their uh, their, their knives out. Well, we saw this week that uh, the CMA, Competition and Markets Authority, have blocked the uh, mm-hmm. Sainsbury's as the merger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, there is a lot it, going on in the regulatory a, space. A lot. Uh, well, you're going to have to update that big feature. Yeah, well, I'd happily. I mean, so much has changed since then that it would merit another feature potentially. I think so. You just talked yourself into a bit of work. eh? Well done. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Harriet. That's uh, really fascinating. I mean, technology is, I mean, it sounds so vast, particularly in the US. I think what we we had an idea, or you had an idea earlier, that we're going to look beneath the fangs uh, Mm -hmm. at the huge numbers of of, of really interesting tech companies in the US, which don't really get talked about very much. But uh, so interesting. There are so many out there. And I mean, I think we see the really headline grabbing ones like, the Lyft IPO, for example, and the Uber IPO. But I don't. I mean, they're kind of. I mean, they're just. 
I don't get. I I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm gibbering now, but I don't really get those in. I know what I you mean. I see them as tech companies. I know. Well, and also, I when people describe them as sort of ride-sharing companies, I'm also confused by that description. I think you know yet another example of how it's difficult to classify what they actually are. But I think what you what, what we talked about with, with respect mm. in respect of what you're planning to do is look at sort of the, I think you call it the picks and shovels of yeah, of tech and the and, picks and, and shovels and and. I mean, of which there are some in the UK as well, but I think we're going to be focusing predominantly on the US. And also some of those companies in other sectors that fall into tech, so for example, cybersecurity, which is such a big market. And um, we've looked at it a fair amount in terms of UK companies. Not been a great market to invest in necessarily... In in the perhaps past year, so there was a there was a kind of flurry of interest yes. in cybersecurity after, after some sort of the big of high hacks. profile attacks, yeah. And obviously, a lot of UK cybersecurity companies did well. Some came to market. Mm-hmm. They haven't been great recently. No, and I mean it's really interesting. I'd love to know what the sort of um, business customers are doing. Is it that they've sort of bought into a particular cybersecurity company and just stuck with it, and that's possibly part of the reason that these companies aren't getting sort of massive new customer rates but um maybe just the better companies are in another market potentially which is yeah. I, I guess another reason why we're gonna yeah look at look at the, the sort of depth of technology in the u.s and the huge variety you can get yeah exactly and and i think you mentioned that there were sectors that sort of subsects of tech that just simply don't exist in in the uk market mm, i think that is one of the things we're going to look at just you know obviously the uk does have a very interesting tech environment but there are so many different types of technology in the US. Um, lots of listed companies that, as, as you said, don't really get any airtime. There are UK companies that have exposure to them, but um, there are also ways that you can buy directly into them. So that's one of the things I'll be looking at. It's great. Thank you very much, Harriet. That is, uh, yeah, that's a good tech discussion. <laughs> right, let me talk you through what else we've got in the magazine. Uh, as I mentioned, the cover feature this week talks about idiosyncratic companies and how they're really difficult to value. Uh, written by Todd Wedding uh, out in the US and he's looking at a couple of specific examples uh, and we've added a few thoughts uh, of our own for, for UK companies that, that kind of fit the bill here. Breaking the mould, why it pays the back companies that stand out from the crowd. Uh, what else have we got? Lots in the personal finance fund section that they will talk about on their podcast uh, tomorrow. The usual comment, uh, I, I kind of uh, a very sort of uh, slim pickings on the results front uh, mm. but, but made up for with some very interesting uh, news stories, including uh, a look at Bunzel, which I think we have previously described as one of the UK's most boring companies. Uh, But now it's front page of the news. Yeah. Well, it's always been really very successful. Um, But but it's been a slight wobble uh, this week. Uh, And we are looking at uh, the mining sector and uh, whether... Where the mining shares, which have had a good couple of years, have uh, uh, as they've kind of instilled new capital discipline, have, have perhaps hit their uh, their high points. Anyway, thank you very much, Harriet, and uh, thank you all for listening. As I say, uh, pick up the magazine, all good news agents, breaking the mold, white pays the back companies that stand out from the crowd, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you.